You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjax.com. So the last couple of, as I said, the last couple of um, Sundays we have had, um, we've taken a departure from our series on the Gospel of John to look at uh, Giving and Antley spoke the last two weeks about giving, and if you've missed those talks, you should really connect with them. And uh, this week we're going to head back to the Gospel of John, um, particularly John six. And next week we're going to begin our Advent series, but today we're going back to the Gospel of John, and we're going to look at uh, chapter six, which is where we're at. So if you have a Bible, which I hope some of you have, or you have an app um, that functions as a Bible. Um, then you can get out and look at John chapter 6. That's what we're going to look at today. And the way we're going to do this today is that this is quite a long chapter. Chapter 6, John chapter 6 is quite a long chapter, okay? And so what often happens is it gets broken down into the various pieces. But what I'm going to do today is that I'm going to talk about it as a whole. I'm going to talk about the whole chapter. So we're really going to run through this chapter. We're not going to look at every single verse, but we're going to look at a whole bunch of it. And Because um, there's really one thing that John is trying to say in this whole chapter. And in this chapter, is, uh, there's three different sections to this chapter. There is the famous story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And we're going to look at that. Then there comes another famous story of Jesus walking upon the water. And we're going to look at that. And then comes um, some teaching where Jesus talks about being the bread of life. And so we're going to look at that and how that ties the whole chapter together. So we're going to whiz through it. Right. So we're going to go from uh, verse uh, John 6, verse 4. No, John 6, verse 1. All right. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not be enough bread for each of them to get a little, which is about a year's wages. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what... What are they for so many? And Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in this place. So the man sat down, about 5,000 in number. Just the 5,000, you know, just a few. Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up. And filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Now this is a famous story, okay? So even if you've not grown up in the church, you maybe have heard of this story of Jesus feeding five thousand people from just five loaves and two fishes. It's what it's, it's a miracle. It's a sign. And we're going to look at some of the things that um, uh, John is trying to tell us in this. Okay, first of all, if we look at verse four, 
Verse 4 says, Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And so what John is doing here is he writes this gospel. John is the, is the guy who is writing this gospel, who is telling us this story. And he is an author. He is trying to tell us something. Okay? And what he's trying to tell us here is that um, he's trying to highlight that this is Passover time. Okay? And he doesn't just say that in passing. right? He's just not like, oh, hey, did, did you care about what time of year it was? No. I mean, it's not so we can go, oh, it was Passover. It, it's so we understand that the link he is making. And what, he, and what John is doing now is he's linking Jesus to the whole history of Israel. Okay, The whole of this Old Testament, the whole of the first half of this book, the, the, the most powerful, important part, most powerful, important part of the story of, of the Old Testament is the story of Passover. It's the story of God delivering his people from slavery. And why he highlights Passover here is not just to tell us what time of year it is, but to tell us that Jesus is the Passover. Jesus is doing something which is like Passover. Jesus is doing something which is the fulfillment of Passover, the fulfillment of the promise of the picture of what um, Passover meant. And so uh, this is why he's doing it. He's highlighting us. And in the same way, in the same way um, that God provided manna for his people in the desert, in the Passover story, so Jesus is providing bread for his people now. Okay? So he's, he's making that link. He's making that connection. Okay? So it's not, it's not just a throwaway thing. Jesus is providing for his followers. Jesus is provision. Jesus will provide. In the same way he provided miraculously in the desert, so he will provide for his followers and his disciples now. Okay? Verse 7. And we'll move down. So they've got this situation, right, where there's 5,000 people who have showed up, you know. It's, it's a bit like uh, Wayne's World 2. Have you seen Wayne's World 2? Where um, if, 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 you, if you book it, they will come. And so Jesus, if you're teaching, they will come. And so Jesus is teaching and 5,000 people show up. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's a crowd, right? There's quite a few people. And uh, they're hungry. No one's thought about it. They've done it on the fly. So there's no lunch, um, no catering. And... Um, <laughs> And they're hungry, okay? And they're hungry. And they don't know what to do about this. Disciples don't know what to do. So we see in verse... um, Let's look at verse uh, 5. Okay, so it says, Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus says to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. And what, um, what it actually means, when Philip's saying, you know, 200 denarii or a year's wages it will take to feed all these people, he's actually, he's replying to Jesus' question by saying, you know, he's basically saying, Jesus, what are you smoking? You know, you're tripping. <laughs> there ain't no way to feed this crew of 5,000 people, this squad of 5,000 people. There ain't no way to do it. It would take a year's wages, and none of us have that just lying in our back pockets. I, I have no idea what to do. And this is like us, right? And I, I take great comfort in Philip here. I take great comfort in Philip because Jesus is asking him a question, what do we do? And Philip says, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. It would, it's impossible. It would take a year's wages, and I just don't have that, and we don't have that. It's, it's impossible. I don't know what to do. Philip's saying, I don't know what to do. And I take great comfort in that. 
Because most of the time, most days, I don't know what to do. In my faith, in my life, in my pursuit of God, I don't know what to do. Okay? Now, sometimes, you know, pastors or leaders or teachers like to, you know, present themselves as, you know, I do know what to do. And we like to believe that there is someone who does know what to do. But the truth is they don't, do they? I have, um, I, I'm 34 years old now, and I have friends who are now doctors and lawyers who I grew up with. Um, you know, they're making a lot more money than me. But they're... Um, <laughs> I have friends who I grew up with who are now doctors and lawyers. And I'm, you know, when I, I chat with them and I meet with them, and I'm talking about you know, our jobs and our work life, you know, one of the most frightening things in the world is you realize they have no idea what they're doing. They're just like you. They have no idea what they're doing. They're going on to Google and Googling, you know, <laughs> what's this problem? <laughs> you know, how to fix this, how to solve this. And the truth is, the real truth is, is that none of us really know what we're doing, do we? Whoa, oh gosh, there we go. I don't know what I'm doing. Can't even walk around a stage. Um, None of us know what we're doing. And all of us kind of at some point uh, feel one of two things. We either feel kind of maybe a kind of false pride that we do know what we're doing and then quickly we find out that we don't. Or we kind of live under this fear that I'm going to get caught out. You know, everyone else, everyone else in this world has got it together. Everyone else knows what to do. Everyone else knows how to follow Jesus and be a Christian and, and be obedient and, and to love God. And I, and I don't know. I don't know where to start. This is Philip. Philip doesn't know what to do. Philip doesn't know what to do. But we can take great comfort and what it says in verse 6, where it says, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. So when he asks you the question, what are you, what are you to do? How are you going to live your life? How are you going to follow me? Jesus already knows what he is going to do. And that's the point. It isn't about what you know. It's about what he is going to do. He knows already. He is prepared. Then we move down to Andrew. So that was Peter, and this is Andrew. And he says in verse 9, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Again, I find great comfort in this. Do you know in, do you know in church, we often talk about you need to have a big vision, right? You need to have a big vision and a big plan for your life. You need to dream up amazing things, okay, you know, things that are far beyond you so that God can do the rest, right? Have you heard that? Yeah, we, we talk about that an awful lot, you know. And I think it's good. I think it's right. I think it's awesome to dream, to, to think big, to, to have these great plans of how Jacksonville's going to change or the school's going to change or your family's going to change or the business you're going to start. We love that stuff. We, we encourage you. I encourage you all the time to do that stuff. But that isn't the only way God works. Sometimes he works in a different way. Sometimes you just have a small idea. Sometimes you just have a small idea and you have meager resources. Sometimes all it takes is a little seed of imagination that says, God, this is what I have. I I don't have much. I don't have a big plan to change the world. I don't have a big vision. I don't have all the resources. I'm not going to start this enormous ministry. I'm not sure my business is going to be, you know, a global multinational corporation. I'm not not certain that I, I, I can do this, that, or the other. But this is what I have. This is what I have. And sometimes Jesus works like this as well. Sometimes it's not about having the big idea and the big plan. Sometimes it's about bringing him what you have. Sometimes it's about taking the meager 
small resources that you think aren't enough. And then Jesus does something incredible with it. He does something amazing with it. He transforms it. You know, and Andrew um, has no comprehension that this is what Jesus is going to do. He has no understanding of what Jesus can do with his meager offering, his meager resources, his small offering. Because it's not about having a big vision. It's about being obedient. It's not about trying to change everything. It's about being obedient. Step by step, day by day, little by little, time after time. And I encourage you to dream big, to think big, to think about everything God could do in your life in the world. But, it doesn't, but don't feel paralyzed by that either. You, you, the way it begins, the way God does something incredible, the way Jesus does feed the 5,000, it begins with your simple offering of what you have in your life. Just simply offering what you have. And then we see what Jesus does. He takes those loaves and fishes and multiplies them so that everybody gets what they need. Okay, verse 12. And then it says here, And when, when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. So there were 12 baskets left over. So Jesus doesn't just fill everyone. He leaves abundance left over. Okay? So why were there 12 baskets left? Why 12? I think it's because of this, because there were 12 disciples. And I think what Jesus is trying to show his disciples to show us is if that you get involved in the serving and giving and loving and blessing of others, there will be an abundance left over for you at the end. Okay? This is what Jesus is telling his disciples and that he's telling us. If you get involved in the giving and serving and loving and blessing and honoring of other people, there will be an abundance for you at the end. You will not be left out. You will not, if you give away everything you have, you are not going to be left with nothing. That's the amazing thing about the kingdom of God. That's the amazing thing about the kingdom of God. If you give away everything you have to Jesus, to serve and love people, you are not going to be left without anything at the end. You are going to be left with an abundance. And we're going to see a little bit later about what that abundance is. Okay, so moving on. So now we're getting to, so we have that first story, very famous story, and then it moves on to a second story in this chapter, okay? And this is all linked together. And this second story is Jesus walking on water. Okay, so we're going to read from verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, got into a boat and started across the lake to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The lake became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the lake and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So if the feeding of the 5,000 is about manna and Passover, then Jesus walking on the water is about the Red Sea. It's about him leading people out of uh, darkness, out of slavery, and into freedom, into the promised land. And so what um, John is doing here is he's making that link between Jesus and the Exodus. He's making that link between Jesus and salvation, Jesus and delivery, Jesus and the new and promised land. 
And Jesus isn't just doing cool party tricks, right? He's not like, hey, check out what I can do. I'm going to feed 5,000. And hey, check out what I can do. I can walk on water. He's not doing this to impress people. Okay, He's not doing it just to kind of prove how supernatural he is or just to prove you know, anything. He's doing this to speak. He's doing this to say. What does John say at the very first um, chapter of his book? That Jesus is the word. He is speaking. And so everything he does, he's speaking. Everything he it does, he is saying something. And what he is saying is, again, that same thing. He is placing himself as the fulfillment of Israel's history. He is saying, I am the exodus. I am salvation. I am delivery. Now, what in, in here is there for us? Okay, so. We see in verse um, 18. The lake became rough because a strong wind was blowing. So it's, uh, the, the waters are rough, it is windy. And then they see, uh, this is described in Matthew, it says like they, they think they see a ghost, right? So that's not a great day when you are, um, you're out in a boat, it, the wind picks up, it's rough, you think you're going to die, and, and then you see a ghost. Um, that's, you know, the last thing you need, right? It's like an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm or something, which just keeps getting worse. And... Um, uh, they see they see Jesus and they think he's a ghost, and um, they they have maybe they um, maybe they thought it was Patrick Swayze. I don't know. Um, uh, they had no idea who he was. They saw this ghost and they were afraid. And so Jesus comes and he says to them, "Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid." What's fascinating about this? is that there's no command again. Do you remember a few weeks ago we talked about how Jesus healed someone without a command? He doesn't say be healed. Here he doesn't say at all. Storm, be still. Wind, disappear. People, be safe. There's no command here. He simply says this, it is I. It is I. I am here, therefore everything is okay. I am here, so therefore do not be afraid. It is simply and only his presence that stills the storm. It is simply and only his presence that stills the storm. It's not his power. It's not what he says. It's not even his authority. It's who he is. Who he is, it is I. It is I. And his very presence there stills stills the storm. It calms the fears. Do not be afraid. Fears are calmed, minds are cleared, the people are reassured. And then something strange happens then. Uh, not that that wasn't strange, but something else strange happens then. The, the, they, they, get him, they see him, they think, oh, it's not Casper the Friendly Ghost, it's Jesus. Uh, we'll, we'll get him on board. And they get him on board, and then immediately they're where they need to be. Immediately they're where they need to be. Which is a strange, right? Yes, that's the answer, that is strange. Why is that? And it's this, because the destination, your destination is always wherever Jesus is. Your destination is always wherever Jesus is. So as soon as you have Jesus, you are where you need to be. As soon as you have Jesus, you are where you need to be. Everything in your life, everything that goes on in your life is for one purpose and one purpose only. is that So you would know Jesus and that you would be with him and that you would worship him. Yeah, that is, that is why everything is happening. That is why everything is happening. Your destination 
is Jesus. Your destination is Jesus. So as soon as you have him, as soon as you're with him, as soon as you um, acknowledge his presence and you worship him, you are where you need to be. You are where you need to be. And here, John, then the story takes a turn from um, examples and showing into explicit telling, okay? And, and then John begins to explicitly tell us through the words of Jesus uh, what it is that he's trying to say, okay? So we're going to look at this. Okay, we're going to go from verse 26. So they've got to the other side. They immediately arrived where they are. Uh, they get out the boat and Jesus begins teaching, okay? And in verse 25, it says, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? We're going to pick it up from verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Jesus then begins to explain what's happened in these two miracles. Jesus is now starting to explain what's going on. If it wasn't obvious for you before, he's going to make it obvious for you now. He starts by asking, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? In your life, what are you looking for? What are you searching for? What are you living for? What are you looking for? Are you looking for a solution to your problems? Are you looking for Jesus to be the healing for your pain? Or for food for the table? Or a good life for your children and your family? What are you looking for? Why are you following him? Why are you here today? What are you looking for? And Jesus can do all that. And he's saying, yeah, I can do all that. I can provide. I can calm the storm. I can make everything okay. But if that's all you are looking for, then you have missed it. If that's all you are looking for, you have missed it. If you are looking for Jesus to solve your problems, to heal your pain, to make your family safe and healthy and well, you are missing the point. Jesus can and will do that stuff. He loves to do that stuff, loves it, loves to heal you, loves to provide for you. But if that's all you're looking for, you are missing the point. And Jesus is saying that to the disciples now, you are missing the point. So what is the point? He goes on to tell us. Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, we've heard that before because he's really making the point. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. And that the Father gives me 
All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the point you've been missing. Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. It's not about what he can do for you. It's not about what he can do in your life. It's not about how he can transform everything. It's not about how he can provide. It's about him. It's about him. This is the point that we miss as disciples. It is about him. It's all about him. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. What is that provision? What is that that you get left over when he he transforms five loaves into a multitude, an abundance of food? What is that abundance? That abundance is him. That abundance is him. This is what it's about. Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. I am the bread of life. I am the Passover. I am the exodus. I am the manna from heaven. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one who comes to me will be hungry or thirsty. I am what will fulfill you. It's not about what I can do for you. But it's about me. It's about Jesus. Jesus is everything. And this is the point we miss. This is the point we forget. This is the point we get lost and distracted by everything else. By Right? But when we lose this, we lose everything. Because Jesus is everything. This life, this faith, what we're trying to do... How we're trying to pursue God. It's got to be about him. It has to be about him. It's all got to be about Jesus. Can you remember being a a child? I hope you can. Um, Ed, you might not. um, But most of us can. Um, Can you remember being a child? And probably an older child. Probably like 9 or 10. Or maybe even uh, in the young teenage years. Can you remember being a child? And then and beginning to realize that like your parents and your grandparents and your teachers weren't just teachers and parents and grandparents, but they were people too, right? That they had feelings, that they had histories, that they had dreams, that they had passions. Is it a weird thing? Do you remember being at school and, you know, maybe as a teenager and, and, and suddenly getting a glimpse, realizing that actually this teacher's a human being, you know? I've kind of been hating this person for four years. And, and you get a glimpse and you realize that this isn't just someone who's trying to make me do things I don't want to do. That there's a person here. This is what we need to do with Jesus. We need to realize that he isn't just a thing. That he isn't just a character. He isn't just there to provide for us. He isn't just there to heal for us. That he is a person. He is a person and he is real. And far much more than realizing about your parents or your teachers or authority figures, you need to realize this about the person of Jesus, is that he is a person and he is real and you can know him. You can know him and you can find out his passions. You can find out his hopes for you and your life and, and his kingdom. You can find out his dreams you can find out his life you can find out who he is his characteristics what he's like how good he is how sweet he is how tender he is how forgiving he is how loving he is how gracious how merciful how good he is and 
And this is what we need to do. We need to collectively and individually realize who he is. It's all about him. There's a, there's a prayer right in the middle of this, um, this chapter that we easily just look over. And I read it and you probably didn't even notice it. Okay? And I think that this is, is an awesome prayer. It's an awesome thing to ask God. Okay? And this is in verse 34 where it says this. It's going to come up on the screen. Verse 34. 34. The last slide. Got it? Okay. It says this. This is this awesome prayer. It says, Master, they said, give us this bread and give it to us always. So when Jesus begins to talk about, you know, what's life really about? What's life really about? It's about me. It's about me. I am the bread of life. This is how the disciples respond. Master, give us this bread and give it to us always. This, is, this needs to be our prayer. This needs to be my prayer. This needs to be our collective um, call and desire and ask to the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, give me you and give it to me always. Jesus, give me you and give it to me always. I need your presence. I need you above and beyond anything else in my life. It's all about you. Give me you And give it to me always. I never want to be without you. I never want to not know you. I never want to be separate from you. I never want to to be wondering about where you are. I want to have you with me always. And this is the heart of what John's trying to tell. This whole chapter is about this. This is what the feeding of the 5,000 is about. This is what uh, the walking upon the water is about. This is what this teaching, this, you know, complicated teaching about Jesus being the bread of life. It's all about this one thing. That he is everything. He is the bread of life. And if we don't have him, we'll be hungry. If we don't have him, we'll go without. If we don't have him, we're going to miss everything. And do you know what the great news is? Is that he is here. Do you know what the great news is? Is that he just cannot wait to give you himself. He cannot wait. He loves it. It's the thing he loves most. He loves it. Do you know before you ever sung a song of worship to him, he was singing over you? Do you know before you ever saw him and, 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 and delighted in him and worshipped him and praised him, he delighted and loved and, and poured over you? That he made you, he designed you perfectly, that he did not make a mistake. More than anything else, he loves to give you himself. Why don't we stand together?